DiscerningHearts.com presents Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. Mike Aquilina is a popular author working in the area of church history, especially patristics, the study of the early church fathers. He is executive vice president and trustee of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, a Roman Catholic research center based in Steubenville, Ohio. He is a contributing editor of Angelus Magazine and general editor of the Reclaiming Catholic History series from Ave Maria Press. He's the author or editor of more than 50 books, Villains of the Early Church, the book on which this series is based. He has hosted 11 television series on the Eternal Word Television Network and is a frequent guest commentator on Catholic Radio. Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me back, Chris. Let's talk about Celsus. Does anybody know who he is? <laughs> well, you know, uh, if you're a history buff, you might know who he is, because he was an important Greco-Roman intellectual of the second century. And he was a guy who really wanted to know the facts about everything. And he really did seek knowledge. And he kind of created single-handedly uh, Wikipedia for his time, or an Encyclopedia Britannica. He tried to gather all of the knowledge in different fields of endeavor into one place. He tried to, to write an encyclopedia of everything known about the practice of law. He tried to, to write an encyclopedia of everything known about the practice of medicine. And he did the same for agriculture. He was a significant intellectual, and he was doing an important service for people in gathering, you know, hard knowledge, research, altogether in, in one place for handy reference by people who wanted to use it. Oh, my gosh. He's all over the place right now, isn't he? There are many Celsuses out there. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is what our universities do. This is what our encyclopedists do. Uh, this is what um, what reference books do for us. They uh, they gather knowledge into one place so that it's handy for us and it's it's easier to learn. And when you do that, you improve quality of medicine. You improve the quality of agriculture. Uh, this is a real service that's done in the world. Except when it isn't actual fact or truth. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But, you know, so Celsus is writing about the very important things in the culture of his time. And one of the very important things he decides he's going to write about is Christianity. Mm. Now, that's an interesting thing, uh, because here we have a guy who's writing about, as I said, medicine, agriculture, law, and Christianity. Why is that? He's a pagan. He doesn't really care about Christianity or Christian doctrine. Well, it's because the Christians were out there and were making a difference in the world, and you had to contend with them because the church was growing so fast. So even though Celsus comes at Christianity as a hostile witness, he's useful to us all these years later. You know, he, he must have been a formidable opponent in the 100s. Because he went out there and he did some research about Christianity. We can be grateful to him for that. But you know what? He did most of his research by seeking out the enemies of Christianity and asking them what they thought of the Christians and then writing it down and gathering all of this together. Now, for someone like me, that's a valuable thing because you're hearing from the enemies themselves. You're hearing what 
They were throwing at the Christians. You're hearing their urban legends. They're, you're hearing their counterclaims to Christian claims. Because otherwise, all we would have is the work of, of great apologists like Justin Martyr and Tertullian and their responses to the en these enemies. But in Celsus, you do have a very intelligent opponent of Christianity drawing from many other sources that were hostile to the Christian claim. So he's pretty valuable even in that way, even though he must have caused the Christians no end of trouble in his own time. The, the beauty of, of, of you, Mike Aquilina, is that you are so grounded in your faith. You know the Lord, you know the truth, and you know the history, and you have, you're so saturated in it that when you see these things, you can really look at it and go, wait a minute, hold it, that's just not right. But there are a lot of people out there right now who it's kind of a fearful thing in our modern day, whether it's Wikipedia or maybe it's a cable network that claims to be the history channel, you know, and and you think you're, you're hearing, for some, they seem like it's authentic knowledge of the past. And they encounter some of the things that even uh, Celsus, it's still promulgated. Well, you know, in, in antiquity, there were three great opponents of uh, Christianity among the intellectuals. Celsus was really the first of them. The second one was Porphyry, who was a Neoplatonist. He was kind of an ex-Christian. You know, he had been a catechumen, so he knew a little bit about Christianity from the inside. And the third great opponent was Julian, who was an ex-Christian. He had been initiated into the Christian faith, and he left it all behind. He rejected it, and then wrote this, uh, this work against the Galileans, as he called us. So, I mean, these three great counter-witnesses come to us from antiquity, and really, they're the ones who, who forged all the arguments that we read today in what is called the New Atheism. Hmm. You know, we have these intellectuals of the 21st century coming at us with what they say are new arguments, but they're really just the arguments of Celsus warmed over, the arguments of Porphyry warmed over, the arguments of Julian warmed over. Well, you know, St. Augustine said that when we have these enemies come at us, it's really a gift from God. God permits this to happen so that it'll sharpen us so that we'll come up with great responses, so that we'll engage the material all the more deeply, and that we'll come to know God more deeply. This is what he wants. If it were not for the, the, the heretics of the 2nd century, 3rd century, 4th century, we would not have the articulated doctrine of the Trinity that we have today. We should be thankful that God allowed that and that he, he inspired Christian intellectuals to rise up in response to this. So I think that even today, when these things happen, we need not be troubled by it. Uh, you know, we might not be able to respond to their charges. We might not even understand their charges because they're dealing with material that we've never been familiar with. But we should know that there are responses out there, and we should make an effort to seek out those responses. In, in antiquity, there were great intellectuals, like Origen of Alexandria, who wrote books against Celsus and really just demolished his arguments that way. You know, that's, that's what God wants. God does not want us to be troubled fruitlessly by this. He doesn't want us to be scandalized by it. He wants us to be challenged by it and to en engage it in a, cr in a truly Christian way. 
I love that. You know, you used a word earlier. He wants us to go deeper. And it's deeper, not so much in the uh, surface level of a knowledge, but a deeper level of a knowledge of a relationship of a person. That's right. He wants you to get to know him. You can hear what somebody says. I mean, I've been married to Bruce McGregor for over 36 years now. And I think I know him pretty well. And if somebody were to tell me something about his, let's just call it his origin story, or his, uh, what he's done in his past, I know that guy so well. And I know his heart so well, I can hear something and say, No, that's not, that's not right. That's right. And that, and that's what God wants, right, Mike? Well, that's true, and uh, and and you know the family analogy is uh, is 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 really good, because there are today philosophers, uh, for example, who will tell you that love does not exist, that you are just kind of a a mishmash of appetites, that it's all what your glands are telling you to do, and whatever feelings you experience for your husband, for your children, it's not really love. It's just this gland behaving that way and your brain responding the way it's trained to. And frankly, you know, you'll hear that from neurobiologists. You'll hear it from neuro- neuroscientists and philosophers. And I'm not expert in any of those fields. I frankly will never have a clear understanding even of their their arguments because I'm just not schooled for that sort of thing. I don't know their vocabulary. And yet I know that love exists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they cannot disprove that because it's a different order of knowledge. Uh, it's They have no expertise in this area. And that's kind of sad, actually. But they have no expertise in this area, whereas all of my Christian masters do have expertise in this area. I can believe the tradition that has come to me through the church and through my family. It's a tradition about living in love. I can live happily according to it, and I can live fruitfully according to it. Yeah, it's the difference between knowing that the how it happens. I mean, that's yes. great. If that's how it happens, that's fine. But it's not. It's different than knowing the why. Yes. The why so it it's, happens. So it's interesting when we look back at these ancient uh, opponents of Christianity uh, and the things that they took for granted. One of the things that Celsus mocked in the Christian story was the virginal conception of the Messiah. Why? Mm. Well, because that contradicted what he knew of nature. That contradicted his own personal experience. So he throws that out there. What else does he attack? Well, Christian, Christianity's claim that it was monotheistic. Why does he why does he challenge it? Well, because because it's trinitarian. He doesn't really understand what's going on there that our one god is triune. What else does he attack? He attacks Christian veneration of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Why does he attack that? Well, because every thinking person knows that women are inferior to men. And yet we have these Christians. He goes on to mock Christians for continuing to give women leadership positions in the church because Christians did give women leadership in the church. They were teachers. They were exemplars. They were an important part of the life of the church, even though they were never ordained clergy, and they never will be. So you have this gross misunderstanding of many of the terms of Christianity back then, because he was a child of his times, and he was taking for granted what we might call the science of his time. He was assuming that all of that was true, 
when it wasn't, you know, it was Christianity that introduced this idea of the equality of the sexes, not the the identity of the sexes. It didn't neutralize the idea of sexual difference, but it said that the sexes were equal. In Christ, there is neither woman nor man, right? That's what St. Paul said. And uh, a woman be, could arrive at the pinnacle of holiness just as a man could. So this was a scandal to an intellectual like Celsus, who thought that the inferiority of women was just something that's self-evident. You didn't even have to argue for it. And yet here the Christians are contradicting of it, contradicting it. And so Celsus needed to contradict the Christians. Yeah, I mean, he was a part of a advanced society, wasn't he? I, I don't mean to say that in such mocking terms, but Rome in that day, his culture, I mean, they were all it, weren't they? They knew <laughs> well, yes. everything. Yes, and every generation is more advanced, and I say that in quotes, than the last. So that, you know, we can look back on the 19th century and laugh at some of the things they believed back then. But we should probably uh, be fairly certain that people 100 years from now are going to laugh at some of the the things that, that pass for science and scientific knowledge in our own day. We have our own fallacies today that we cannot see. We have our own errors today that have not yet been identified, but we can be sure that our great-grandchildren will identify them and will find them amusing. We'll return to the villains of the early church and how they made us better Christians with Mike Aquilina in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. The Creed I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary, and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death, and was buried, and rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, 
who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology is a nonprofit research and educational institute that promotes life-transforming scripture study in the Catholic tradition. Founded by Dr. Scott Hahn and with current Vice President Mike Aquilina, the center serves clergy and laity, students and scholars with research and study tools from books and publications to multimedia and online programming. The St. Paul Center welcomes you to their free online studies. Whether you're studying scripture for the first time looking to take your studies to a higher level, or whether you're ready for advanced training, you've come to the right place. In addition, for each track of study, they recommend books that will enhance your study in prayer and build your library of essential works in biblical theology and spirituality. The studies are free. Just visit SalvationHistory.com to view a complete library. We now return to The Villains of the Early Church, and how they made us better Christians with Mike Aquilina. The key here, I think, for Celsus and for a lot of those who will look to science is to say somehow that faith and science are separate. And that's a fallacy too, isn't it, Mike? It is. I mean, the science of the first century and the second century, the science of someone as brilliant as Celsus, we know today to be mostly wrong. It was corrected by the science of future ages. And if you look at historians of science, you know, they attribute the advance of science in antiquity and in the Middle Ages to Christian sponsorship of that science. There were certain Christian ideas that were, that were key to progress in science. One was the idea of creation from nothing, you know, and the other was the idea of a God who is rational, of a God who is reason, of a God who is logos, as they say in, in, the, in the Greek. These ideas were not there in pagan the paganism. They looked at the gods as whimsical. They looked at, at the gods as essentially living absurd lives, uh, you know, just going from one fancy to the next and seeking pleasure the way humans do. You know, it was the idea of Christianity, of this God who is spirit, who is creator, and who fashioned the universe according to a plan and and certain ends that allowed the advance of science. It was only under the auspices of Christianity that science began its long march, its long march of progress. And I hope that we're going to be talking about that in future episodes and in, in a series of programs, because that is a fascinating truth that can be explored and examined throughout time. Yes. Mike, a person like Celsus and those who will read his works, not just his works, but also today when we encounter th- those who will put forth science, it, it is amazing, isn't it, how science has led us to kind of acknowledge that there is this awesome God that it, 
I was just thinking the other day there was a picture of when a sperm and an egg unite that there is actually a, like a spark that happens. In the, and they say this is the spark of life. Life begins here. Well, for many people, they they can't even fathom that life even begins at that moment, that somehow it happens later. Science, God has a way of revealing to us certain truths through science, doesn't it? Well, it does. And it, and it inspires gratitude. It inspires awe and so many other things. Uh, it, it seems to me that if, if we live in a world that observes a certain kind of design that can be observed, you know, it, it, we can see this and we can track it. We can write about it. We can come to predict events as a result. This is a remarkable thing. Uh, and, and, it, and it points to the existence of a designer. It really does. This is what St. Thomas Aquinas said in the 13th century. It's what many people still believe today. It's what many scientists believe today. You know, some people claim to, to attack Christianity in the name of science, whereas these things are not opposed. And many Nobel Prize winners in many of the sciences have been believing Christians. It's something that you can probably check on Wikipedia find out pretty quickly. But many of the great scientists, especially the founders of the various branches of science, have been devout Christians, and, and, and many of them have been Catholics, as I said. But yeah, these things are not in opposition at all. This brings up a, a good point, I think, for those out there who will encounter arguments, as it were, that people will get bring forward or certain teachings or understandings through science that will be very challenging, potentially, to the Christian, that first, don't be afraid, but the, explore that. Write down the question, go back and take a look for the answer. But if you can, wouldn't you say, Mike, that the disposition of your heart is not so much to explore a way to counter the argument, but instead to First, how will my exploration of this bring me closer in relationship to God? Uh, yes, and you know we have an advantage today in that we can pretty easily find out who are the Catholics today who are addressing these particular arguments, these particular issues. There are so many people who are working in the apostolate, working in intellectual apostolates, and they're answering a lot of these challenges in real time. You know, I, I think of Bishop Robert Barron, for example, you know, who's out there answering the challenges of new atheists and taking them on in, as I said, in real time as these challenges come up. You know, find out where are the answers, the Christian answers. Listen to the Christian answers and go deeper. It seems to me that there's such an embarrassment of riches today in material that's out there and available to us, and we don't take advantage of it. We're so weak that we allow our faith to be bruised and wounded by the slightest attack, and we, we shouldn't. Our faith should be something hardier than that, and even its intellectual component, our knowledge of doctrine, should be should be deeper than it is. Yeah, the, the, the thing is, the person that we've gotten to know and who they're— it, it, um, it, in our minds, may seem like they're attacking, but the person we've gotten to know is the Prince of Peace. Yes. And as you come to know him more, and if you have these challenges, I remember when some I had an aunt who said, "Oh, of course you don't believe in that virgin birth thing. I mean, blessed, you know, with a, a blessed mother, you can't believe that, Chris." And I didn't know how to respond to her at that time. It brought me. I, I'm like. Uh, you know, and I fumbled, this is in my early 20s, and 
it caused me to go and look. And wow, I it brought me into a deeper relationship with a woman I never want to be separated from, the, <laughs> yes. the Blessed Mother. I mean, so don't be afraid. It, your quest will bring you to peace, right, Mike? Yes. Uh, and now you're grateful for that challenge. But at the time, you're kind of embarrassed. You feel even kind of foolish. Um, you have to move on from there and not not be led by your pride, really, but to go and to examine uh, what's out there in the tradition, examine how other people have responded to such challenges, and go deeper yourself. So many people, you know, fall over with the you know the first time they're struck by a feather, and we need to we need to get stronger. We need to to be a lot stronger in what what we know about the faith, what we know about history, and how we handle these things interiorly. I guess I should not minimize, as a matter of fact, I should maximize the role of prayer in all of this. You know, early on, you use the example of family relations that you don't just believe everything uh, anybody says about someone you love. No, you know, you base that on knowledge, but also you base it on what you know through the presence of that person. You base it on what you know just through time spent with that person. So, so yeah, spend time with Jesus in prayer. Get to know him that way and give time for it every day. We need to have sustained and disciplined lives of prayer. Otherwise, we will not have an intelligent faith uh, because it won't be based on any kind of personal experience. We need to spend time with Jesus, and it needs to be quality time, attentive time. It, it's, it's good to do it in the car if that's where we find ourselves a lot of time. Shut off the radio. You know, and, and I'm saying this on radio. That's mm -hmm. kind of silly. No, I but, agree with you. But, you know, spend time in the quiet, you know, mm -hmm. but don't only do it in the car. Do it at times when it will have your, your concentration. This is the way to build any kind of good relationship. Think about marriage. You know, if you want to have a strong marriage, you need to spend time together in conversation, in each other's company. That's necessary. Well, our relationship with Jesus Christ is no different. We need to spend quality time in his presence, in conversation, talking with him. Amen. That was beautiful, Mike. Absolutely beautiful. What a great way of responding to this uh, challenge. And oh, gosh, can I be saying thank you for the villains of the early church? They do make us better Christians, don't they? You know, I, I, I think so. And that's the point of my book. And it was St. Augustine's point in antiquity, that God permits these challenges. He permits these opponents to get as far as they do, so that we will go deeper than we're going, you know, so that we will rouse up these resources to counter the challenges, but also so that we'll go deeper personally in our relationship with God. Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me back, Chris. You've been listening to Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com 
and join us next time for The Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina.